Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Thank you for joining me today, mountain bike people, for the MTB Tribe Podcast, episode number nine. My word number nine, we're going well, and I am stoked with today's guest. They are our first bike builders on the podcast and they are based in the UK. They're bespoke, handmade British bikes and they are cool. You'll have to check out their details, their website. They have some great videos out there. Really cool and I'm so excited to introduce BTR Fabrications, Birth and Tam Racing Fabrications. The guys were so cool. So good of them to come on the show, take time out of their very busy schedule. These guys are a two-man band. They do everything themselves from answering emails to putting photos on Instagram to building the bikes to welding the bikes to designing the bikes. These guys do everything in-house themselves, only the two of them. We talk about everything from the order process to how long a bike takes to why they manufacture in the UK, their passions, their motivation. These guys are the real deal. And the podcast is very good. There's a little bit of background noise in the podcast now, I will say, because they are in their workshop. There is things going on in the background. There's a wee bit of interference on the the, uh, bandwidth, etc. So the sound quality maybe isn't 100%. But it's still a great interview, it's still a lot to be learned and it's really interesting to find out how the UK bike scene is going and how good it is and how these guys are managing to be, you know, leaders in in this sector. Um, It's so good to talk to the guys. So please sit back, enjoy the podcast. Here we go. It's Birth and Tam. Hi guys, welcome welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. It is absolutely great to have you here. How are you doing today? Yeah, really good, thanks. Yeah, good, cheers. So I can see there um, that you're actually quite busy, so I'll, I'll try not to take up much of your time if possible. Um, you're a very strong two-man band there by the looks of things, so well done. That's brilliant. Thank you. Cheers. So, guys, uh, just tell us a wee bit about your company, BTR Fabrications, uh, what you do, and uh, just let the audience know really what it, what it is you just do there in the bike building industry. Uh, so, we build steel mountain bike frames in the UK in Somerset. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, just two guys, two guys in a shed, pretty much. But um, we're making some pretty progressive bikes, mainly in terms of their uh, geometry, and um, we've got a pretty strong name in the hardtail wor- world, particularly for bikes like the Ranger, which is our kind of enduro-style hardtail. Um, and we kicked off with the Belter, which is our downhill hardtail, which has kind of the craziest geometry around, uh, with like a sixty-one and a half degree head angle and so- stuff like that. So. Yeah, that's kind of what we do. Very good. And how long have you been trading for now? Five and a half years, coming up six years. Wow, really good, really good. Um, so what made you want to start, uh, you know, an independent bike building company? Um, I, I'm sure there's a lot of competition out there and stuff. So what kind of encouraged you to do that? Uh, so growing up as a kid, um, always uh, looked up to Curtis Bikes. Um, and yeah, just looking what they did and stuff like that, I always wanted to follow in their footsteps, if you know what I mean. Um, and then yeah, met Tam at university and uh, we got chatting and 
he said that that was something he wanted to do as well. So we basically jumped in from there. Yeah, it's kind of it's also born of not being able to get the bikes that we exactly wanted and not being quite happy with what we were riding. Just you know, for various reasons, some of them performance, some of them reliability, and some just because there wasn't a, like a suitable bike. So our first bike was the Belter, and at the time, no one really made a hardtail for downhill, which is what we wanted to ride at the time. So yeah, that's kind of another reason there is just to make the bike the bikes that we want rather than having to wait for someone else to release something similar yeah and was your background in mountain biking at that stage you you's obviously rode mountain bikes did you just race or anything at that stage uh yeah so i did a like quite a lot of racing as a teenager um race downhill uh, nationally and all that kind of stuff I was sponsored by Muddy Fox as well when the Athertons and that lot were on it um, so yeah it was, my background was definitely in downhill mountain biking but then um, kind of stopped doing that when I went to university um, and I still had my full suspension downhill bike uh, but the tracks and stuff that we were riding around Oxford there weren't amazing they weren't like super gnarly stuff so I wanted to have kind of like a downhill hardtail that would make these trails that we were riding more fun. Yeah, yeah. So, an interesting take. And at that time, was full suspension, you know, an up-and-coming thing, or was it the norm, um, you know? It was pretty much the norm. So that was about 2010, 2011 kind of time, where the kind of the development of full suspension bikes was really taking off and you're starting starting to see you know what in today's term could still be a pretty good bike kind of thing um certainly for downhill a hardtail was just unheard of you know like you might see someone on their local trails kind of riding a hardtail but an actual a hardtail intended for downhill riding was just unknown basically yeah yeah and and you guys met at uni um did you hit it off and become friends straight away um you know did the mountain biking thing pull you together as friends just with that natural interest with each other yeah pretty much we um um we met through a company called canine industries that were starting up uh, based in oxford um and tam was working there on his sandwich there wasn't it yeah yeah, yeah. Here, yeah. um you were doing design yeah i was a design engineer for them um, yeah, and that's where that's where we met basically, and that's how that's kind of how we knew that we were both into building bikes, is because we both went met at this company that was building bikes. You were saying so. Yeah. So it was um, like I mentioned before. I was um, my intention was to start making bikes because you know growing up looking at cats bikes, I was super into it. So I went to uni in order to learn the engineering side of things to to make bikes. Um, and then when I heard of this company, Canine Industries, based in Oxford, I sent them an email being like, can I come and hang out? Um, and then, yeah, that's where we met Tam. Um, and then, yeah, we just uh, went out riding to the pub and stuff like that and just got chatting about how we wanted to set up our own bike company. Mm-hmm. And who was the first one to say, let's start a bike company? Let's let's do this. Let's jump in and do this. Um, so... Uh, after uni, Tam carried on working at K9, um, and I got a job as a welder. 
Um, and then, yeah, I was just at work one day and Tam gave me a ring and was just like, I'm fed up here. Are we going to start this bike company? So, yeah, I guess it was Tam. Yeah. <laughs> and you were both, both working full time and all our employment at that stage. Yeah. So was it a big jump? Was it was it a scary decision to kind of move away from full time, a regular income and, uh, you know, start start a business with no customer base no income was that was that quite a scary a scary thing for you to do uh i don't think we really thought we thought about it too hard i mean i actually <laughs> uh, i actually quit my job before we started bcr right. by you know, by six months or so you know like so i was kind of unemployed <laughs> when, it, when we started the company. so uh, but yeah i don't i don't think we ever stopped to consider how difficult it might be or you know what might happen but what we did do is we we didn't take out any loans or anything like that we just started with what we had so there's no you know we weren't going to lose our houses if the if bcr didn't take off kind of thing so it was kind of low stress from that side but at the same time we just never had any money so yeah that was difficult in other ways <laughs> I uh, I continued working full time and um, for quite well probably a couple of years before setting up um, when we set up BTR. Um, so yeah, I do build the frames and stuff in evenings and weekends, and you know the day job paid the bills and stuff. So it wasn't necessarily um, a major stress thinking you know I'm not going to be able to pay the rent and stuff if this doesn't take off. Uh, we kind of built it up as we went, and then I started reducing my work hours as BTR became busier. Yeah, and did you have any support from friends or family at that time? Uh, obviously, yeah, like our parents and friends were keen on what we were doing, but we didn't. Um, well, we didn't take any money from from anyone. We basically used the money we had in our back pockets and just built up from there. Wow, good. And tell me about some early times of BTR. I hear there was strange sleeping arrangements at one stage and stuff. How did that all come about? Um, so yeah, like I said, I I stopped working like six months before we started. So when we started, all we had was uh, Paul's dad's garden shed, and like, I, of course, didn't have any money by that point. And you know, trying to start BCR, certainly, you know, anything I had was getting spent. So I just lived in the shed, which was our workshop. So there was one shelf that was like high up in the roof, and I had a sleeping bag up there and a mattress, and that that was my that was my bed, basically. So, wow, talk about rags from wretches sleeping on a shelf. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> I got a really good night's sleep up there, actually. <laughs> Shows great determination. Wow, and commitment. That's unbelievable. Things you uh, do for money. Uh-huh. Uh, well, it shows you. It shows you have a real passion for it. That's true. Uh, so let's talk about the bike building process a wee bit, then, guys. Uh, I'm interested in. When you started the business, you know, how did you go about doing that? Did you design a bike, ride it yourselves, work on it? Did you sell one, get another order, sell another one? How does that all go about starting? You know, did you have a plan that kind of direction, or how did you validate the the whole idea really? So that that's basically it. That's basically what happened. Um, we had this idea for a downhill hardtail, like we said, and kind of made a design, made one. Uh, rode it, seemed to work pretty well to say the least. Um, made another one with the, and you know, the only changes from the first to the second and even to the third was just sizing actually. We didn't change any of the geometry around that. 
and then once we got a handle on that, we started offering them for sale, and the the fourth and fifth bikes that we made were sold. Uh, first one went to California, of all places, as well. Wow, wow very good. And did you did you find friends were interested in them? Were they were they keen in supporting you and maybe purchasing bikes off you? Yeah, yeah. So the the fifth bike that we made, uh, we sold to a friend, um, and yeah, there's a, a number of our mates actually who who ride our bikes now and have bought them from us, and a couple of them own like prototype bikes. So the first um, first and second ever pinners, or it's kind of predecessor to a pinner, really. They belong to a couple of our mates who basically funded our kind of uh, prototyping phase for that bike, basically. Yeah, well, that's, that's brilliant. It's good to have that support really behind you, you know. Yeah. Really. Great. And the the building process, how does that work then, Tom? Do you start by designing stuff, you know, as as simple as pen on paper type thing, and then move on from there? Or? Yeah. Um, you kind of yeah. So it's it, I start start in my head, just figure out what I want to do, roughly what shape it's going to be. And then into the uh, design site on in CAD, I'll just start with a geometry sketch, just a, a simple 2D line sketch of the head angle, the bottom bracket, out, the change to the length, everything, you know, every single factor of the geometry, and kind of build the frame up around that, you know, using tubing that I know we can get. And, um, you know, obviously taking into account what our machines can do as well. So I'll be making sure as I go along that the machines that we've got can make it, or if there's something specific that we need, then we can either buy or make a tool to do whatever that process is. Um, so by the time the design's finished, it's pretty much just ready to buy the tubes and get building, basically. Yeah, and then Bert, would you go from that stage and start the welding process and, and, and all that there? Yeah, so from from the design, Tam prints off um, a spreadsheet of all the numbers and stuff like that that we need to cut the tubes to, like all the different angles and and whatnot. So we get that. Um, Tam uh, selects all the tubes from the shelf. Uh, we cut them to cut them to length and then start notching them on the, the machine that we've got to shape the tubes so they fit together. Um, and then yeah, fit them in the jig, uh, tack the frame together, and then. Uh, check it for alignment start weld it all up um, and then check it for alignment at the end as well yeah so it's a, it's a pretty detailed process and how long how long would that whole thing take you know from start to finish really would you have a, an idea on on a lead time for that so from from time picking the tubes off the shelf to when it's ready to actually be collected by the postman is around about 30 hours for a frame uh, that's including, um, you know, the time it spends at the paint shop and, um, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So not not bad, but I suppose when it's broken down into different stages, that could take a number of days to do, I suppose. Yeah. It, it generally takes probably about two weeks for a hardtail frame to go from start to finish. Um, and at any given time, our, you know, our waiting list at the moment is up at about 12 weeks or something for a for a hard tail, so just actually running the business gets in the way of building frames, basically. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I can understand that. And how did you guys um, get the motivation and idea for for the designs you do? You, you know, does it come from any 
specific bike you used to ride in the past or anything like that, or is it just what works best, you feel? Uh, there's definitely a bit of, well, yeah, there's definitely a lot of experience and the kind of the input for making, you know, come up with a new design is I'm trying to do this and it's not working, basically, one one way or another, or I don't like the way this feels on my bike or something, you know, something like that. It's, a, it's generally coming from a real-world thing, and then we're saying, right, how do we go about fixing that? What is it that we need to change? Do we need to change the geometry? Is it a structural thing? Um, et cetera, et cetera. There's no kind of, you know, mathematical way to calculate what shape or strength or whatever the frame has to be. It's all just kind of an iterative process of, I want more of this and less of that. And, you know, kind of working around it like that. Yeah, so do you get much testing time out in the trails? Do you take time out of the workshop to go on trails and test stuff? Not as much as we'd like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it always seems to be that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, desperate. Uh, so as far as the, the fabrication of the bikes and stuff goes, did you guys have those skills before you started BTR, or was it something you worked on just as you produced more and more product? Uh, so I was working as a welder fabricator, like in, in factories, just making bits of sheet metal and uh, eventually moved up to making stuff oil and gas industry. Um, so I did have some skills, but um, definitely the skills have progressed as we've built BTR up. Yeah, just every day is a school day. You, you start with enough ideas to be able to make something and then for each one that you make, you, you learn something new and then you kind of move on to a slightly different design and that needs slightly different skills and it just builds up and builds up, really. Yeah. And and your bikes, guys, um, I know you've got a lot of good feedback from customers and testimonials and stuff. So why do you think your bikes are so good, you know, from the materials to fabrication? Why are your bikes better? You know, why do they stand out? Uh, I guess because we're, we're both riders, we're both passionate about riding bikes and we really care about the, the end product. Um, it's got our, our name on it and we don't want it to, we don't want to send it out there if it's not um, something that we're really proud of. Yeah, I think like it's just, it, it requires the whole thing. There's no, there's nothing extra on any bike. So for it to be really good, everything has to be really good. So the geometry has to do, you know, put the rider in the exactly position that, that they want and that you want to do what they want to do and then the frame has got to hang together it's got to be strong enough and stiff enough and you know lightweight and all that so just it's the complete picture really and the main thing that we kind of offer that big companies don't is that we can customize well we can customize just for anything on a bike but it gets pretty expensive if you want to like completely start from scratch but sizing a bike you know, accurately to someone to give them exactly what they want is really important to how the bike works for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't have to, you know, pick, you know, fit themselves on a, on a bike that's just whatever's available. We actually build the bike to their size um, if that's what someone's looking for. So all those things put together can end up with, yeah, with a really good product that people like and that people want to ride. Yeah, and I suppose you can also design the bike around what trails they would mostly be be riding as well yeah yeah yeah. to to a certain extent i mean it's it's kind of difficult there's a lot of judgment involved basically with you know i ride steep trails well how steep you know that but we certainly we certainly do take all of that into account when we're discussing 
someone's build with them, um, and we'll you know if someone rides mainly flat trails, we'll quite often put a shorter head tube on their frame or something like that. Just just those small things that just kind of push the bike in the in the direction of what sort of riding they do. Mm-hmm. And when you were building up the the company and building up the business, was there ever a point where you thought? You know, there's just too many man hours for this. Um, it's it's going to be a struggle. Or were you always keen to keep? Did you, you know? Was there a point when you thought this is going to be successful and we can definitely keep doing this for our our income? Uh, I'll let you know when we figure that out. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. Uh, so you aren't you aren't just running fly by the mill. Obviously, you are doing well there. You are doing okay. It's putting food in, on the table and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've both of us have been full time employed by BCR now for the past four months, something like that. So, yeah, oh, wow. it's getting there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I was working part time at Boston Academy for the last two years or so, and then yeah, the last four months BTR has just got too busy for me to be working for someone else. So yeah, I've been been on full time for BTR. Wow, yes. that's brilliant. So that that must make you excited then. Are you not excited to, you know, be at that stage now? You can maybe put a wee bit more time and effort that you probably always wanted to put into BTR. Yeah, definitely. It's um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a real catch twenty two thing. We needed to spend more time in it, but we need to work elsewhere in order to spend more time on BTR. Basically, so now that we're both full time, it's much easier. It's much less stressful, basically. Yeah, and I hear guys building and cutting in the background there. Do you do you have anybody else employed there or? No, that's our workshop is actually inside the bicycle academy. It's a separate okay. room, but we're actually within another workshop, and they've they've always got people and they've got students in all the time, learning to build frames. And I think what you're hearing right now is someone assembling some of their products. Uh, oh, wow. Um, doing a bit of brain surgery, but. Uh, yeah, there's always stuff going on here which is basically bike related so it's a pretty cool place to be brilliant brilliant and you talked you talked earlier about your your first order and stuff like that so when you got your first complete order from somebody outside of your friend's network how did that make you feel did it make you excited yeah it was it was pretty exciting like we'd sold our first product um but as it was going to the states we were quite nervous like um yeah, yeah we um, so sort of if something went wrong, you know, the, the culture over there with um, lawyers and whatnot made us a little bit nervous, but also uh, being able to get the bike back and do repairs and stuff like that would be a lot more costly and stuff. So um, yeah. it was both exciting and nerve wracking at the same time. Yeah. It's very yeah, back though. Um, that, it's, it's never been back to the UK though, that frame. The guy seemed perfectly happy with it. So, yeah. Touch, touch. That's all. That all went well. <laughs> and uh, how did you get in contact with him? How did it come that your first order went to the states? Um, I think we uh, we had an interview on Dirt Magazine on their website. Um, they were doing a feature at the time, just people hand making their own bikes. Um, and yeah, I got in touch with them and wrote a little article. And I think it was off the back of that he got in touch with us. And was just like, can I have one of your bikes? Yeah, it was, it was really simple, just out of the blue. I'll have one, please. Not There was no discussion really involved in that. You just placed an order, which was uh, pretty crazy, yeah. 
Wow, is he still in touch with you? Not really, no. I, th- I think he's actually sold the bike on to someone else, as far as I know, as well. But no, um, there are some of our customers that we're in touch with on a basically a pretty much weekly basis kind of thing, but uh, mm-hmm. others just keep themselves to themselves, which is fine. Yeah, yeah. He was definitely one that kept himself to himself. Like as it was the the first frame we sold, I um I was really keen to hear what he thought about it. Um, and emailed him asking him, and never really got a reply. So yeah. Yeah, bought it, rode it, and disappeared. I think. <laughs> yeah, sometimes no news is good news. Eh? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, so, manufacture, you know, in the UK. Um, so, had to, have you ever thought of going the whole down the kind of the China route? Uh, were you ever tempted to go in that direction? Not really. I mean, the kind of the point of us starting our own company is so that we can do everything ourselves really that's mm-hmm. part of BCR is to be able to control every stage of the process so that we know exactly what we're putting out the door um, and regardless of how kind of stringent you are with all your specifications and how much time you spend in Taiwan there's always going to be someone else working on something that you don't quite know what's happened to um, so we always wanted to just build stuff ourselves you know just we like doing stuff with our own hand, own two hands as well. To be fair, so um, I wouldn't rule it out, but I just don't see right now. I can't see why we'd start building stuff overseas, basically. Yeah, for me, definitely, it was um, looking at um, companies like Brooklyn Machine Works and Intense and Curtis Bikes that I've mentioned that all made the made the bikes themselves, and I just thought that was the coolest thing ever, and you know that's why I wanted to set up a bike company was so that I could build bikes. Um, so like Tam says, it's not something that we're going to rule out. We may do something like that in the future, but we definitely will continue to make bikes ourselves because that's, you know, why we started doing this. Yeah, well, you, you certainly, uh, you know, seem to have the passion for it. And I think once you go overseas, it, like you certainly lose, you know, a percentage of the control for definite. Um, yeah. And then you become more of a, Push, pushing keys kind of business than actually a bike designer or bike builder you know yeah yeah um so that that's really awesome that you're keeping it in the uk and uh you know like when when you decided to do that were you aiming the bike at a different customer or anything like that because obviously there's a huge amount of competition out there as far as bikes goes um do you feel that that you're aiming at a different customer or a different customer comes to you uh, I, th- I think different customers do come to us. I mean, the, the main thing, the main difference in our bike and the bike from Taiwan outwardly is the price. And we just, we cannot compete with the pricing on Taiwanese bikes. Just Bikes are so cheap to be made out there. Admittedly, you have to make a thousand or whatever at a time. But, you know, so our bikes are going to be more expensive. So we just have to make sure that the value is added in other places. So we make sure it's the highest quality we can. We make sure it's tailored to the customer if that's what they need, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we kind of attract different customers from the mainstream because we, you know, we can't exist in the same space there. We can't compete with them on price. We're just, we're in it in a different space. But that said, our bikes aren't kind of, weird or anything i think they are quite they are the competitive in the mainstream as as a bike kind of thing and they're comparable with other mainstream bikes in some ways so i think some of the mainstream customers 
do still come to us really yeah yeah no that's interesting very interesting and who decided what products you needed to stock because you you um you know you do complete bikes you do frames you do frame kits tools clothing you know so you're really well well up on that like who decided what way to go with that and, and to do them different elements it's, it's just kind of developed naturally i think um we started out with the belter because that was the, the frame that we wanted at the time uh, that was the the downhill hardtail um and then we decided we were going to go and do the dudes of hazard race up in uh, kinlock leaven in scotland um and for that we needed a bike that would be capable of going downhill but also efficient going uphill so we designed the ranger off the back of that um and then yeah the uh, full suspension bikes came off the back of some of our friends asking us to build them full suspension bikes it was definitely something that we wanted to wanted to do but um they kind of forced our hands on that front um and then yeah the the trail tools um a customer of ours that had bought a bike from us was like um can you make me something like this um so yeah, it's kind of grown organically, really. We haven't necessarily gone out with a specific plan to have specific products. It's just, it's just what's happened. You're just giving the customer what they're asking for and what they want, really, which is awesome. Basically, yeah, yeah. It's what um, we started out making stuff that we wanted to make, and then yeah, started making stuff that the customers want us to make off the back of that. Brilliant. That's brilliant. Um, so take us through the order process then, guys, uh, and your time and how that works, because it's a great amount of work for two people to be doing, really. So how do you manage your time? Like, how do you deal with customers, design, build, update your website, you know, everything else that goes on? How, <laughs> how do you get all that done for two guys? Like, are you working 24-7? What way do you, do you work it out there? Uh, pretty much working 24-7, yeah. It's... Yeah. Um, um, there's, it's definitely all-consuming. There's no, uh, there's no point where you can switch off and stop thinking. Um, when it comes to ordering the bikes, there's um, there's two main different ways you can do it. You can either order straight off the website. Um, you know, you can just click click and buy, or you can email us and actually have a chat with us and talk about the different things that you want on the bike. Yeah, no, the website's very very good. The website's brilliant. Um, do you, did you just design that, or was that outsourced? Uh, so uh, uh, Paul's wife uh, actually kind of set it up initially for us. Um, that was, I think she last had a hand in it a couple of years ago now, and I kind of have taken it on and rearranged it. I, I don't know how many hours I spent. I was just kind of tweaking this bit here and tweaking that bit there until it's kind of what you see now. And there's still... I've still just got a massive list of things that I want to change and update and introduce on it. So, yeah, it's just a work in progress like everything else. Yeah, that never really ends, that website stuff, uh, for sure. Yeah, goalposts never stay still. Uh-huh. Uh, so, take us through a, a day in the life of BTR, if you will, just an average day. You know, what time does your morning start at? When do you finish in the evening? You know, what kind of stuff do you do? Have, have you a structure there for most of your days? Uh, not necessarily a strict structure, no. Like, um, try to get in as early as we can and uh, try to leave on time. But, you know, there's um, some days where, you know, we have to stay real late to get stuff done in order to get it to the customer on time. And um, in some days where there's something going on at home where we don't come in as early as we 
usually do or we go home a bit earlier stuff like that so there's it's definitely because there's just the two of us um it can be quite loose on that front yeah um, we, we tend to like basically we try and work like nine till five thirty really just as it fits in with every other business that we have to deal with kind of thing and suppliers and all that but um it's pretty flexible and generally we just hit the nails that stick out if there's work to be done we we try and do it really so um, me personally, I live about 10 miles away and I ride to work as many days of the week as I can, try and keep myself out of trouble, really. Um, so I leave the house at about 8 in the morning, get here kind of ready to work by 9. Um, I leave here 5.30 or 6 most days kind of thing. But my day is mainly filled with kind of emails and design work and a bit of admin and um I kind of I prep some of the tubes for uh, for Paul, so I start doing the notching and frames while he's welding and bits and pieces like that. Um, whereas Paul's days are kind of much more filled with the building of bikes and kind of managing uh, team stuff and getting video promotional videos made and all sorts of governs on that side of it. Yeah, so you've you've got your fingers are many pies there for sure you, you just don't you know Paul just doesn't weld bikes and that's it you, you know it's wow you've, you've got to you've got to be quite good at a lot of things there yeah yeah, yeah. but that's, that, that was a, a definite that's kind of what I wanted to do I didn't want to just be a cog in a big machine and do one specific bit of the design even or you know just do design I wanted to do everything I wanted to make stuff design stuff and just kind of run the thing there's definitely bits that I prefer and bits that I'm not so keen on but uh it's all part of it, so it's it's all good. Yeah, it definitely like um, helps to keep it fresh as well. Like Tam saying, you're not just a cog in a big machine. You're, um, you know, you're doing one thing and then you have to do something else, and it means you don't get frustrated or bored with what you're doing. Yeah, and, and would that be would that be one of the the biggest enjoyments of having your own company and and running your own your own bike business you're obviously interested in bikes and mountain bikes and stuff like is, is that a real perk of the job um yeah i'd, I'd say it's a it's a perk and also a drawback as well like um because uh, it's because there's just so much stuff to do um it can get a little bit too much if you know what i mean like yeah you get to some points where you're just like i can't i can't keep doing this anymore yeah. i don't know what i'm doing here <laughs> don't know what um, to yeah. do do you ever think to yourself at that stage you know what i'd be better just go and work in a simple nine to five get my way yeah, no 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 see that's it like i think oh this is terrible it's so stressful and i don't know what i'm doing here and uh, and all that stuff and i think oh well i could just go and get another job and uh no i just have to do someone else's stuff and that's yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah, and having someone else telling you what you've got to do and stuff like that it's just um yeah there are points where you're just like I don't know if I want to do this anymore, but then when you think about what the alternative is, is to say, like, yeah, I, want to, I don't want to, well, I want to do that even less. Yeah. 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 So how do you keep motivated then? What do you do? Do you do anything to keep yourselves motivated other than just building and getting orders and getting stoked through that? Um, as it's, is when you see people's reactions to, to what we make, like when you get customers receiving their bike and they're just blown away about how nice it is and how well it rides and stuff like that, that's a really big motivator. Um, and producing videos like the one we did with Joel Anderson and the Pinner, like stuff like that's a super big motivator as well. Um, yeah. 
yeah. And we, when we eventually get out to ride, it's pretty good to you know remember that we we do it so that we can ride bikes, which is mm-hmm. a bit backwards because that's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a big thing. We you know, go out on the bike and it's like, oh yeah, now this is really cool. Now I made this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and you know, do you do you think that because you're now building bikes, that you know you do that all day, every day? Do do you lose a bit of passion in the bike industry itself because you're doing it all day, or does it actually motivate you to you know are you more interested in the bike industry because you hear story, you know, you hear guys saying, well, never work in what you actually love because you'll end up hating it. Do you just feel like that at all, or it comes and goes? There's some things that really frustrate. I think both of us in the bike industry mainly kind of overhype products and things that are which are blatantly not going to be reliable being the main things. Um, so there's some things that I just I just switch off. You know, a new product being launched, I'm actually a bit behind the times on it, I guess, because I just don't really so much. But it's just noise, really. So I get desensitized yeah. to a lot of stuff there. But in actual fact, I'm very interested in kind of generally what's going on the bigger picture the new technologies coming through you know things like gearboxes and things that will actually make a difference to how bikes work and how reliable they are for people then really keen on and really interesting so it's yeah yeah i'd have saying when someone brings out a new standard and there's like loads of hype and you know they're saying this is the next big thing and bikes and ride bikes we can kind of look at that and be like well that's not true you're just bringing out something to try and sell more bikes um, that can be quite frustrating and a lot of the time we don't um, you know incorporate these things on our bikes for that reason we just see that it's it's not going to actually benefit the customer you hear people that work in the bike industry they're just like oh, I've been working on bikes all week I just don't want to look at a bike when it comes to the weekend and you know, that's definitely not the case for me. I'm just a guest of the weekend and I want to ride my bike. Yeah, I think that's maybe the difference between working for yourself and working for, like you say, being a cog, you know, being a, a, a cog in the big wheel or whatever. And Yeah, definitely. You, you motivate yourself through different ways, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so guys, take us through the order process. If somebody wants to order a bike uh, off you, um, what way do they start that kind of process? It's generally by email, so people generally get in touch and say, I've been thinking about this bike. And look, everyone's got a question about something, and that's, I think, why a lot of people come to us, is because they can ask us questions directly, and we can recommend, you know, recommend or not recommend, as the case may be, think, you know, whatever we can do. So someone will come along and they'll say, I've been thinking about your Ranger, I've been riding this bike, uh, my concerns are, well, I, I don't know, like the fork travel is normally people's main concern in the Ranger because it's got quite short travel forks and we can reassure them that 120 millimetres of travel is going to work absolutely fine for what they want the bike for, um, which for 99 people out of 100, I'm actually sure it will do kind of thing. So yeah. that's how people kind of start the order process. And if there is something specific that they need, we'll normally figure that out just in the that first exchange of emails and then we can... Uh, go down the custom route if they need to or we can just point them in the right direction for the frame size and which model of ours they're, they're looking for yeah and would you have much contact with your customer throughout the build 
We do try to, yeah. We try to send the customers pictures of their frames being built, just at you know various stages of the process. And we've kind of we've got a, a waiting list on our website, like a queue of people, so they can see when their frame should be ready and you know what which stage it's at at that time, that kind of thing. So we try to be in touch with the customer as much as we can throughout the whole process, really. Yeah. And also with the social media posts that we put up and stuff, we get a lot of interaction with the customers on there as well. Um, and you can see, like, customers that are further down the bill queue getting more and more excited as their one's coming up. And, you know, when we start putting pictures up of their bike and things like that, um, yeah, it's really cool to interact that way. Yeah, so you're all you're switched into social media and everything. Wow, it's unbelievable. Your CV must be just, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. Pretty nuts. I haven't, I haven't actually updated my CV since we started the after. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, so what about after sale service and stuff like that guys do you offer anything like that well we we kind of initially offered a warranty and at the start we weren't sure about how long anything would last we thought things were pretty tough like you know frames pretty strong and all that we would had no idea so we started off offering this like two-year warranty which compared with like the 10 and 15 and what was it king creek with their 110 year warranty on their headset you know we're, that's quite a short warranty kind of thing so people are just like well what's what's that all about so what we've done is we've scrapped that and we've basically just said you know what just keep in touch if it's our fault we'll fix it that's that's our warranty nowadays um uh in terms of service like it's really difficult for us to offer a service because our customers are around the country at least and more often than not around the world they're in the states or new zealand or japan or you know anywhere in the world so getting the frame frame and or a bike back here to work on is like it's it's ridiculously expensive so we don't really offer that much service but if anyone ever has a question or a problem like they can get in touch you know this new cassettes come out will they will it fit my bike yes no you know i can like go through and tell them what will work what won't work what they need to do how they can fix it whatever's going on basically Mm-hmm. And, and just talking about sending bikes, so you've sent bikes pretty much all over the world, have you, by this stage? Yep. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> wow, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's not so. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, and have you ever thought about going down the route of putting, you know, bikes into stores? Or do you just want to deal directly with the we, customer and cut out that middleman? We started off trying to, you know, offer trade pricing to people and get our bikes in shops and... Uh, trying to pick up distributors and stuff like that for for other countries but more and more we're finding that what our customers want is to deal directly with us not deal with through a shop or through a distributor but deal directly with us and it's kind of necessary when you're customizing stuff to be able to ask the customer questions about because it's such an iterative thing getting their getting their design together you need to ask them what they you know how they got on with the bike they're riding you make some adjustments from there and then what terrain it is they ride and how they feel about this, how they feel about that. So it's really important. It's more and more, in fact, it's important for us to deal directly with the customer just to do, you know, get the best service to them. Um, and it would be nice to have stuff in shops so they can go and look at it and try it and, you know, have a qualified mechanic assemble it for them or, you know, or whatever they need kind of thing. But in order for us to build the bike as best we can, it's really important for us to deal directly with the customer. Yeah, and also we um, the prices we sell the frames at 
at are basically as little as we can sell them for already. Um, you know, we don't want our bikes to be crazy money. We want people to be able to afford them and ride them. Um, so in order for us to offer trade prices to shops and distributors and things like that, we, we need to be able to sell um, like a large number of bikes or frames to that shop um, in order to sort of cover the cost. Um, so yeah, it can be quite difficult in that front, like um, offering trade prices makes things a lot more difficult for us. Yeah, yeah, no, I certainly can understand that because then you, you kind of realise then, oh, well, we need to be producing more. So then you start thinking about, well, do we need to hire more people? And it's just one of those catch-22s, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And like getting a frame made in Taiwan is so cheap. There's like, you can, there's just margin there. You can yeah. like, whereas we're, we don't have any allowance for, you know, we don't have any spare margin. So it's, it's literally just the price is the price. You know, it's really difficult for us to absorb the cost of anything really like to fit another margin into the price of the frame. Yeah, no, certainly. And you guys are de- dealing directly with the public and with your customers, and I'm sure your customers are awesome. But I would like to know: is, have you ever had any crazy requests for anything? Um, you know, somebody just wanting something that just would not work or anything. Not really, no. Um, I think I think most of our kind of day-to-day things that we have to deal with are like can I have a bike that's compatible with uh, 650V plus and 29 wheels? And it's like, well, yeah, I can make it so that both fit, but it won't be optimized for either of them. So mm-hmm. you're much better off picking one. Like that's, that's a kind of day-to-day thing. Crazy stuff though. I've made a bike polo frame, like uh, you know, a bike that's really sharp and had like a super steep head angle for doing a uh, bike polo. Right. Um, I think that's, that's wow. actually about the craziest thing we've actually yeah. had. Oh, yeah. a swivel bike. There's someone asked for a swivel bike once, you know, where it's like a rear wheel steering as well as front. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that would have tore your hair out designing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, so what about the what about the different size of tires and rims then what are you finding more is, is, is 29ers becoming more popular yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. yeah we're getting a lot of requests at the moment for 29er pinners yeah mm-hmm. 29ers become much more popular in full suspects basically although in hardtails it seems to be fairly even we don't like the vast majority of the hardtails we sell are 650b they're 27.5 um, we sell a few 29s myself, a few 26s basically, but we try and just offer, as long as we know that the bike will perform how we want it to with that wheel size, we offer every wheel size that we can for that bike kind of thing. Yeah, 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 it's a, it's a big discussion in the industry at the minute, isn't it? It's pretty crazy. Uh, it's getting pretty old, if you ask me, just it's, yeah. it's the bike, don't worry about what's best, if it feels good, ride it. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, good advice. Good advice. And you do, uh, you do custom head badges on your bikes. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's mainly just one line of text that we add to the badge that so can say, you know, it's the most normal thing is that someone has their surname in it or their, you know, their name or maybe even their daughter's name in that in that line of text. Yeah. Yeah, and have you have you had any crazy requests for that? 
I had one guy that was like, um, I love beer. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I love beer. Some guy recently had a, he swore about something. What was it? Yeah, it was something about carbon. Oh, and yeah. I, I never heard about carbon. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I get all sorts there. So yeah, most most people will just go for their surname or you yeah. know something like that. We had, um, I think, one of the most special ones we had was a, a guy up in Scotland. Um, one of his friends passed away with cancer. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. And um, and his friend that passed away had left him his bike in his will, sort of thing. Um, wow. And so he the bike didn't fit or it wasn't necessarily something he wanted. So he sold that bike and then used the money to buy a bike from us. And then the custom text was his, was his friend's name. I think, so, I think it was actually, it was a, it was a film, the, the last film that he'd ever watched with his friend, like while, he, while his friend was in the hospital kind of thing. It was like the last film they'd ever watched together. Wow. That's <laughs> pretty awesome. Uh, it was a film yeah. called Wasabi. That's what it was. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's, I'm sure. I'm sure it's lovely to see stuff like that coming through. You know, you're making a difference there. That's that's pretty cool. Like, yeah, that that sort of thing is absolutely awesome. When it's someone who's spent either money that is kind of precious to them, like you know, precious to them for a, a for a special reason, like it's you know they've saved up for years or they've got the money from some specific place like that. Yeah, it's really nice. We get some people like at the moment we're building a bike for a guy whose girlfriend decided that. You know, she should just buy him one of these frames that he's always spending all his time looking at on social media, kind of thing. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's really nice to be like, uh, it's yeah, to our customers, our bikes aren't just a bike; it's like something that they actually are involved in. It's like they're part of the family, kind of thing. It's, it's really cool. Yeah, that, that's pretty awesome. That would certainly keep you motivated. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 Good. So, what what do you see the future panning out for BTR? Are you going in any different directions, or are you just keen and sticking to what you're doing at the minute? I guess the the whole time that we've been doing BTR, we've just sort of taken it as it comes and grown as it's needed to, and things like that. So yeah, we'll probably just keep on doing that. There's like, you know, pipe dreams. Like when I was dreaming of setting up a bike company as a kid, I wanted to like win the world championships and. You know, have a, a factory at the bottom of a mountain with a downhill track finishing right by the workshop door and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Things like that, maybe like one day would be awesome. But you know, we'll just keep going as we're going. Yeah. Yeah. And are you still racing, Paul? Are you? Uh, yeah, here and there. Like um, I haven't raced downhill for quite a few years now, but um, tend to go to a few enduros, local ones, and things like that. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, I still really want to race, and I'd love to race every weekend if I could. But you know, time and money and things like that um, put a restriction on it. Um, but yeah, like my sort of dream or plan for next year is to qualify for an EWS and just race one EWS, and then I think I'll be pretty happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, retire after that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you doing anything different or new coming into the future? Have you any new designs planned? Yeah, always. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's there's about three bikes that I was supposed to design this year, but I haven't got around to yet. Um, I think the next thing is uh, so we've made one uh, full suspension downhill bike uh, called the Gasser, and we semi regularly get people inquiring about it. You know, is this for sale? Can I get one? Etc. Etc. So 
one of our team riders is really keen on downhill and free ride and stuff. He's the guy who owns the one and only gasser right now. Uh, so he wants to go racing next year. So a new downhill bike is the thing. So it's, um, yeah, I want, I want to actually make something. I don't want to just make another frame. I want to actually experiment a little bit with it. So it mm-hmm. should have some pretty interesting features on it, I think. Yeah. Wow. And what, what's the, well, I know you said there you've been, you've been working on it, you've been supposed to have been doing it this year, but have you any kind of time when that will be ready or? So, uh, yeah, well, it's, the target is for it to be ready for him in time for next year's race season. So I need to put pen to paper pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's just another, another thing to add in your to-do list there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So we keep getting people, uh, when we put up pictures of the, the penner and stuff like that, people keep asking us, like, is there going to be a 29er version and mm. stuff like that? And it's like, yeah, there will be, but uh, we're too busy with everything else at the moment. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's difficult sometimes. It's hard for people to understand how, you know, time restricting the whole thing can be. I can certainly understand that. Yeah. Yeah. So how can guys get in contact with you? What's the best way to, to contact you if, if anybody's interested in any of your products or seeing more of what you do there? So it's through email is the best way to start a conversation with us, really. It's um, uh, btrfabrications at gmail.com. Um, but, yeah, there's also the social medias, Facebook and Instagram. You can message us on there. Uh, that tends to make things a little bit more difficult for us, though, like trying to keep in, like keep, keep control of all of those things. So definitely the best way is through email. Right, perfect. Well, I will put uh, all those links and stuff, guys, in the show notes. Um, so if anybody wants to get in contact with you, they can find them there. So that will be great. And I'll, I'll not take up any more of your time because... When you're sitting talking to me, there's there's no work being done, so it <laughs> doesn't really help things. So, but listen, I want to just thank you very very much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. I'm glad we could get so so user our first kind of bike brand on the podcast, and I'm super stoked. It's it's you know in the UK, it's handmade. It's a couple of guys just doing the best they can. So I I'm really appreciative of of you being on the show. So thanks very much. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much for having us. No problem, guys. All the best in the future. Cheers, mate. Cheers. That's number nine done, folks. I hope you really enjoyed that. And I just want to say thank you very much to Burf and Tam from BTR Fabrications. The guys were great to come on the show. I know they're super busy. I know it took time out of their day. So I want to just say thank you to them to come on and give us our time. Let us know what the UK bike building industry is like. And uh, to be honest, these guys blew my mind, you know, because they, they do so much just do everything from taking photos for their social media to building bikes to designing bikes everything you can think of that goes into a bike building company these two guys do it all Um, so they're pretty amazing and please check out their website check out the stuff they do it is awesome if you want links to that just go to our website mtb-tribe.com and go to the show notes below the episode and you will see all the links there for the guys so please hit them up and say hello the guys are super cool and um, you know they deal with every customer in-house and speak to them personally themselves so it's it's a real bespoke product you're getting there uh, and you just can't say that very much these days so thank you very much to Burf and Tam for that that's awesome and thank you for being involved in the show I really appreciate it if you visit our site you can 
Download the shows or listen to them just directly from the site mtv-try.com or visit iTunes, uh, download there, subscribe, rate and please share the show, it really helps. And you can also do the same via Stitcher if you prefer that platform. So just thanks guys for being involved, thanks for listening to the podcast and thanks for sharing all your thoughts and likes on Instagram. You can find us there at MTV Tribe and also the same on Facebook mtv tribe so as i speak now we've just got over 100 followers in each of those platforms so it's awesome we're on we're on fire things are happening we'll get northern ireland involved in the mountain bike industry so happy days it's about time i'm super stoked to be doing this for you and i hope you are really enjoying it so until the next time guys have a great time have a great day have a great weekend whenever you're listening to this enjoy all the best see you in the trail <laughs>